All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. And with that familiar music, you are listening to your podcast. How are you today? We hope that you are doing well. We are looking today at side four of our Psycho Circus discussion as we put Psycho Circus to bed, if you will. It's been a long four shows, and I hope that you all enjoyed it. Today I'm joined by BJ Cramp. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. And as we open up this episode of your podcast, we have some KISS news. Scooby meets KISS again. What do you think about that, BJ? Sounds fun. They'll be selling Scooby snacks soon in Detroit Rock City. The super sleuthing canine and the hottest band in the world are teaming up in the animated film Scooby-Doo and Kiss Rock and Roll Mystery, available July 10th on digital HD platforms and July 21st on Blu-ray and DVD from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. KISS members Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Eric Singer, and Tommy Thayer voice their own characters in the movie, which centers on a Halloween concert at the group's amusement park, KISS World. Gene finally got KISS World to happen. What do you think about that? Scooby, Shaggy, and the rest of Mystery Inc. gang drop by to hear some tunes, but wind up partnering with the musicians to take on the Crimson Witch. Dun dun dun. A spooky lady with a nefarious plan to summon the evil and powerful destroyer from the alternate dimension of Kisteria. And I saw there's one part where there's like a black diamond. Is, this this does look like a lot of fun. The cartoon mystery features six classic Kiss numbers, plus a new song by the band just for the film. Want to bet Paul sings it? Yep, I would guess that would be accurate. Yeah, come on, let let Gene have a turn. Which features guest voice stars Kevin Smith, Jason Mewes, Darius Ruckers, Gary Marshall, and Penny Marshall, and some others. <laughs> This isn't the first time Kiss and Scooby-Doo have shared the screen time. The band also appeared on a 2003 Halloween episode of What's New, Scooby-Doo. Let's listen to the commercial right now. You wanted the best! You got the best! An all-new Scooby-Doo original movie. The legendary rock and roll band Kiss. The Star Child. The Demon. The Catman. The Spaceman meets the legendary dog. I'm here for the funnel cake. Witch! Get me the hottest mystery solvers in the world. Why, that was well done. Well, so are we. I think we're going to need these kids to catch that witch. You'll never stop me. Kiss needs our help. Like, I'm no guitarist, but I can play a mean armpit. Earth is threatened. This gang will have to rock your world. We'll have this case licked in no time. What's this gonna be? Now it's just a matter of setting a trap. Who's gonna be the bait? You are. How is it that you and I have to do the hard part? Just lucky, I guess. Scooby Doo and Kiss Rock and Roll Mystery. Come on, guys. These special effects cost money. Look for it on DVD and digital HD. 
And of course, remember they uh, ran into uh, the diabolical disc demon. Do you remember that, where they had like this Gene Simmons-alike character? Yeah, on Scooby-Doo, yeah. I remember seeing pictures of it. So do we know what the new song is going to be called? No, no. No. Sadly, no. You know, uh, Kiss would have gotten away with it if it weren't for those meddling kids. So anyway, this is going to be fun. I I think this is neat. There's a lot of people upset about it. They act like uh, this is a low for Kiss. And come on, Kiss has done much lower than this, right? Yeah, like Carnival of Souls. Hey, now, watch it. I like that album. But <laughs> I, but I think this is just going to be fun. And, you know, Kiss is kind of about fun. If you're not uh, If you're not enjoying Kiss, you're doing something wrong, right? And BJ, before we get into the last part of our discussion on Psycho Circus today, let's talk about your show, the Rock and or Roll Podcast. How's that doing? It's going very well. Excellent. Uh, just uploaded a new episode with Craig Smith and Eric Miller from Pods and Sods, so I think that one will be popular. Excellent. We encourage people to check out our fellow podcast, and if you hear about it here, then it's Podcast Approved. Podcast Approved! So, BJ, what are your thoughts on Psycho Circus? I took the day off work and went to buy the record. I actually, I lived on the east side of Milwaukee, and I just had to walk a few blocks down to the record store, buy it, walk back to my apartment. Incredibly excited. I liked the album cover. I thought it was cool. I was so excited for a new album by the original members. I had seen the reunion tour twice. It was such a great time. Kiss had been my favorite band for my whole life, and um, I was so excited for the album and couldn't have been more disappointed just incredibly disappointed by what I heard once I took it home and put it on. Maybe the most disappointing album I've ever purchased in my entire life. I guess I shouldn't have had my expectations so high. Were there any tracks that you enjoyed? Yeah, I like the title track. It's mm-hmm. a good Paul Stanley song, but it sounds like pretty much like an 80s Paul Stanley song, like something that you could have heard on Animalize or Asylum or something. I like Journey of a Thousand Years a lot, Obviously, it's a it's a cool song with a good melody. I, it's unfortunate that Gene had to return to those excruciatingly bad within lyrics in that song because Bruce Fairbairn in, I think it's in Behind the Mask, he's quoted as saying within has really thought-provoking lyrics, <laughs> which is hilarious because they're the dumbest, most pedestrian lyrics I think anyone has ever scribbled on toilet paper while they were taking a shit. I mean, it's just insane how dumb those lyrics are. <laughs> and uh, it was really unfortunate that they came back uh, for a uh, reprise, if you will, in Journey of a Thousand Years, but that's a very cool song, obviously. It's just, was Journey of a Thousand Years the kind of song that I was hoping to hear on that album? No, it wasn't. While I like the song, it's really strange that Gene almost like revisited uh, where he was at when he was writing for The Elder. <laughs> What he wrote for this record, it's like, who was expecting that from the uh, Kiss reunion album for Gene to um, revisit the elder period with his songwriting? Uh, I know people love We Are One, and, and I guess it's a nice song, but not what I wanted, you know? What people did- would say, who cares what I wanted, right? But I'm just saying, from my point of view, We Are One, whether it's an alright song or not, it's not what I wanted from this album in any way, shape, or form, so... Unfortunately, you know, especially through the 80s, my favorite songs were always Paul Stanley's songs, and I think Paul really blew it on this record. I mean, those two songs, I Pledge Allegiance to the State of Rock and Roll and Raise Your Glasses, they're so cumbersome because of the lyrics, and 
they just don't work. They seem half-assed to me. Half-assed is a great way to describe this record, I think. I think Bruce Fairbairn completely phoned it in. I don't think he gave a shit. I think it was just a job and it was a paycheck. And I don't think Bruce Fairbairn approached this record from any sort of a creative perspective or put any of himself into it. I think he was a huge mistake. It was a huge mistake to hire him. I think Paul made it pretty clear in his book that he agrees. And I think Bruce Fairbairn just hit record and that's about it. And just phoned it in and didn't care at all except for the paycheck. And I think that really shows with the quality of the record and just how it, it doesn't even seem like they put a lot of effort into it. Okay, well... <laughs> and also, Mike Plotnikoff, what a douchebag. Uh, if you read the stuff he says in Behind the Mask, especially about Ace and Peter, you know, he was Bruce Fairbairn's engineer. Mm-hmm. What a douchebag. Um, that guy, complete a-hole in, in Behind the Mask. Complete bullshit as well, the stuff that he says, obviously. Okay, PJ. <laughs> Never the shy one. And here is an audio clip sent in by a KISS FAQ board member named Dis. His real name is Tom. Take it away, Tom. Hey, everyone. My name is Tom. You might know me as Dis from the KISS FAQ message board. And, in fact, it was there that I made a post not too long ago about episode 104 of The Mighty Podcast, side two of Psycho Circus. And in that post, I I gave a little gripe, I guess you could say. I love the show, always do. But my only gripe about that show was that I wish there had been a dissenting voice like mine. Someone who didn't like Psycho Circus as a whole and had bad feelings about the whole freaking album. (laughs) I know there are people like that out there because I've heard from many of them and I'm one of them. Now, there was dissent among certain individual songs, but there wasn't really any dissent about the album as a whole. It seems like most people seem to really like it, which is great. But I just wanted to hear from other people like me who really have a problem with that album. And Ken was Ken was gracious enough to PM me and say, why don't you go ahead and record your comment? Maybe we'll play it on the show. So here we go. Um, my biggest problem with the album is that it's just the disingenuous nature of it. And I know we've had that before with other Kiss albums. We've had ghost musicians playing on other albums that weren't mentioned or whatever. But it was different here. And that's because I cannot take the context of when this album was released... I cannot separate that context from the songs themselves. And if you go back to that context, what we were thinking at that time, us diehard KISS fans, was, wow, we had the reunion, it was great, we were still buzzing from that. Now we were finally going to get the original KISS back together in a studio for another classic KISS album. And like many of you, I'm thinking Rock and Roll Over, Love Gun, Dress to Kill, even Destroyer. Yeah, Destroyer had different players on it but that was still at least 90 percent the original members so i can't separate the two things and and the crushing disappointment for me for for the missed opportunity that psycho circus was just really um i don't know it just really keeps me from enjoying that album much at all but one of the biggest points that i want to get across that i got across in the post that i made and i don't hear this talked about very much is that on this album Not only do you have Gene and Paul writing songs for Ace and Peter, but you have Gene and Paul writing songs as Ace and Peter. I mean, just think about that for a minute and just the sheer balls that that takes to say to a a guy, not only am I going to write the song that you're going to sing on the album, but I'm going to write it as if I am you. I'm going to write it from your perspective because I know you better than you know yourself. I mean, that's kind of how it comes across in a way. Um, It takes you back to the Finally Found My Way track discussion and i'm with andrew i really just don't like that song at all i think it's a terrible song 
and it's it's mainly terrible because it's it's so phony, which is the problem I have with the rest of the album. It's such an obvious attempt to try to recapture something, recreate something, instead of do something that's honest, that's heartfelt, that is more artistically driven. But on this song, again, you've got Paul Stanley telling Peter Chris, no, all your songs suck, and let's be honest, we've all heard one for all, he may well have been right, but he not only says, I'm going to write your song, but I'm going to write it to mimic your biggest hit with the band, and I'm also going to write the lyrics as if I, Paul Stanley, am Peter Chris. I'm going to inhabit Peter Chris's body. In fact, Peter, I'm going to sing this song and write this song from your perspective. I'm going to talk about your screwed up life, how you screwed yourself over many times, how you had it all, Peter, and you blew it. And now how grateful and thankful you are to have finally been allowed back into the kiss fold and how you're not going to blow this chance again, right, Peter? I'm going to write all of these lyrics just for you. And not only are you going to sing them, but I'm going to stand there right in the studio as you sing them. And I'm going to tell you how to pronounce every word properly as, as I want them pronounced. Okay? All right, let's go. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, look, we all know Ace and Peter have tremendous problems and contributed greatly to the problems within the band. I'm not trying to sugarcoat that in any way whatsoever. But you gotta you got to look at Gene and Paul's side of this, too. And when you look at the fact that they are actually writing songs for the members and as the members, I think that is something that it just kind of baffles me that they would have the nerve to do that. But it also kind of baffles me that Ace and Peter would have uh, would, would go along with it and not try to, to say, no, I'm not doing that. What's, what's the matter with you? So I guess in the end, money talks, and uh, while Ace and Peter might have been rocking the boat, they weren't going to capsize it. So you've got that from Paul Stanley, and you've also got Gene writing a song for Ace. And I think he might have even written another one. I remember him talking about in interviews. But he writes, In Your Face, for Ace. He basically says, Look, Ace, I'm, I'm going to write the perfect Spaceman song. In fact, I've already told you that the lyrics for Shaken Sharpshooter or whatever it was weren't good enough, and I, I convinced you to change them to a Spaceman's outer space motif uh, in Into the Void. So now I'm going to write another song for you. Now, don't worry about submitting anything. Forget Sister. Sister's no good. We don't want that on the album. We need another quintessential Ace Fraley song, a, a song by Ace that really captures who Ace is. And who better to write that than me, Gene Simmons? Let me write the quintessential Ace Fraley song. It'll be full of, of Ace Fraley cliches and how, how you one back down and how you, you uh, want to keep your hair long and all these really cool things that really capture the ace. <laughs> I just think that's so ridiculous. And by the way, I, I kind of like that song. After all this is said and done, I was surprised it got such a harsh uh, commentary on the show. I, I, it's certainly not a great song, but there's there's something about it, about it musically that I think is sorely lacking on the rest of the album. But lyrically, yeah, it's just pure cheese. So anyway, I, I just wanted to bring those points up. I think that they really illustrate just the dysfunction that was happening in the band at the time. And I think it's it, it just shows the controlling nature of Gene and Paul that really did just as much, in my opinion, to contribute to the second downfall of the band as the problems that Ace and Peter put forth. And, and the last thing I'll say is we've also got uh, Gene writing these songs about the fans and how much he loves the fans and how wonderful the fans are. And what's so funny to me is that at the same time he's doing this, the band is actively trying to fool the fans by telling everyone that Ace and Peter played on the album. They are not giving the fans what they want by the fact that they're not giving the fans a, another classic, original Kiss album. And they're also placating this group of casual fans who came out to see him on the reunion tour. It's like they got this whiff of success again, this whiff of potential for mainstream success again. 
and immediately the, the diehard fan base that it all, has always stuck with them, that's fought for them, that's gotten into arguments over them, et cetera, et cetera. Now they're not in the, uh, they're not being looked at very closely. Now they want to bring in all the new guys, all the potential new guys. So they're placating these other fans that we, as a diehard fan base, used to fight against. So when I look at Psycho Circus as a whole, the only thing that I can see is just this disappointment, almost a betrayal to me, to be honest with you, a betrayal of what Kiss was, uh, what they should have been. Uh, so it's not much, my disappointment for the album is, is less for what the album was, even though I do think it was pretty much a mediocre collection of songs at best with a few bright spots thrown in there. But it was less for what it was as far as my disappointment goes and more for what it wasn't and what it could have been. It could have been a great classic Kiss album. Yeah, Ace and Peter couldn't play as well as maybe they had in the past, but I don't know. I, I hear Into the Void, and as much as I think that is a mediocre song, you do get that magic that you can hear with the original four playing. And I wish they had done that. I wish they had just hired Eddie Kramer, gone back in the studio, sat in a room together, and basically taken the Sonic Boom Monster approach. It might have been harder, and there might have been, been some more um, difficulties there for a while, but I think it could have solidified the band. It was a great opportunity for all of them to solidify the band again. Instead, they just completely split it apart. So for me, Psycho Circus is an absolute low point in the Kiss discography and in history in general. It's, it's a hypocritical album. It's a disingenuous album. It's, it's almost like a big hidden middle finger to the, the Kiss fans while trying to masquerade as a love letter to them. It's more like a Dear John letter to them in a way. So anyway, thanks guys. I love the show. I love the podcast. You guys are the originals. You guys are the best and your work is very, very appreciated. Thank you so much for all the great entertainment. Look forward to much more to come. Thank you for the clip, Tom. And now at this point, we would like to welcome Julian Gill, author of many great KISS books and one of the hosts of the KISS FAQ podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Julian. Hey, Ken. Thanks a lot for having me back. Glad to have you back, sir. As you know, we are discussing Psycho Circus. And BJ, ever the opinionated young man, (laughs) (laughs) he and I have been discussing some of the pros and cons of Psycho Circus, and we'd like to bring you into this discussion. Yeah, that's great. I just heard him, you know, singing praises about the album that just go above and beyond the superlatives that I've heard (laughs) him describe previously. So I just don't know if I can go anywhere from what he said. So it was the reunion album that wasn't. There is a gentleman over at KISS FAQ who's been asking us questions, and he seems to want these answers, and I'm not sure that anyone can actually answer these questions, but we're going to float some of them. You know, the best thing any of us can do is try and answer from, uh, you know, opinion and elsewhere, Um, but there are always the unanswerables, KISS fans, whether you want to admit it or not. Yes. Well... He wanted to know a few things, like, for example, last year during an interview with Eddie Trunk, Ace said that he was not asked to play on Psycho Circus. Peter Chris also stated in an interview last year that they were paid not to play on the album. Do we know anything about that being true or not, guys? Julian? You know, I, I don't think we, we can answer that. It's just so internal KISS business that very few fans are going to have the sort of visibility into saying is Ace being accurate, is Peter being accurate, or are they pursuing their own agendas well after the fact. However, were they on salary 
when it was being recorded and they weren't performing on it? Yeah. So from that kind of point of view, I think you can probably say, yeah, they were still getting paid by KISS because uh-huh. of the five-year contract, but they weren't actually working. And BJ? Well, Gene and Paul have both now publicly stated that Ace and Peter aren't on the record because they were renegoti- trying to renegotiate the contract. And that seems like the most believable scenario to me. They tried to use the album as leverage to get a better deal. And that's why they're not on most of the album. And yeah, like Julian said, like Peter said, they were paid not to play on the album. Yeah, they were being paid as employees of Kiss and they didn't play on the album. So yeah, it's true. What was Ace's quote on Eddie Trunk again? Something to the effect that he was not asked to play on Psycho Circus. You know, they did a lot of spin when the record came out, and I guess they're still spinning instead of just admitting the reality, which both Gene and Paul have admitted now, which was that, like Paul says in his book, when they were making the album, they only heard from Ace and Peter's lawyers because they were trying to re- to use the album as leverage to renegotiate the contract. I think that's what happened. That's, well, that's my opinion. That is what happened. They, Ace and Peter tried to say, we're not going to make a reunion album unless you give us a better deal, and Gene and Paul said, all right, we'll make it without you, and then that's what happened. Yeah, don't don't bother coming and playing, Ace. You know because uh, you know we're talking to your lawyers, and until we get all that resolved, you know just don't come in. You but know, the so big issue is then when the record comes out, they sell it to the public as a reunion album, uh-huh. uh, and lie through their teeth, and the, so that's the problem really there. Paul said something with a bit tongue in cheek, uh, something to the effect of that Ace and Peter phoned phoned in during the recording or their lawyers phoned in either way they did not show up so i think when we get to january oh, january what is it uh, 1998 so when they really start getting busy on the album you know all the trade presses had reported the 43.6 million grossing tour top grossing tour of 1996 and you know peter and ace i believe they shared the same manager at that point their advisor at that point probably said well look at the crummy contract you guys signed i mean come on you know you've just brought in this amount of money you know 43 million dollars guys and they want to make an album now's your time so yeah they rolled that they rolled that dice and you know for the fans i think um they're not going to think about the fans they're looking out for themselves Uh as they should as business people in the music industry or musicians in the in the uh music business well, I think the fans should place a lot more blame on Gene and Paul than Ace and Peter for what transpired, in my opinion. Now, uh, Ace and Peter's representation, I believe, was George Suet at the time? That's uh, what I'm under the impression, yes. Now, a lot of the information that we wound up finding out, we really didn't know at the time because we were, you know, just like back in the 70s, we were being told who played on what and, you know, Kiss was getting along fine, everybody's great, everybody's playing on everything. We were getting that kind of a thing again and we were led to believe that we were getting the reunion album. But I say to you, Ken, that I don't think you ever really got that in the 70s. That is the kind of the myth of Kiss that you were getting everyone playing on everything. Go back to dynasty uh-huh. i mean where's peter on that you know where's right. gene on that um purportedly as well uh-huh. you know go back to the alive 2 studio stuff go back to love gun or particularly destroyer so there's a certain myth that kiss was the monkeys that these guys were friends these guys always played together where nothing could really be further from the truth therefore I kind of say, did we not get exactly what 
Kiss really is with the Psycho Circus album. That it's a completely dysfunctional, disjointed assemblage controlled by Gene and Paul. So in a way, it's it's actually a very true Kiss album, whether we like it or not. Maybe it's all. a brutally honest album, looking at it that way. Um, you know, stepping away from my, my fanboy tendencies. You know, I'm looking at it, and here's Gene and Paul. They are the controlling factors from, you know, 1996 and Ace and Peter's return. They own the band. They've kept the band running. They've taken the risk. They've taken all the lumps. They've, you know, paid Peter and Ace off through the negotiations several times. So it's their creature. And, you know, as landlords, they're going to utterly dominate that because they've been become so used to dominating the extra two members in the band. Uh-huh. Look at how they treated Eric Carr, Vinny, Mark, Bruce, you know, to the point where they were not used to really having anyone demanding input any longer. Yeah, but, I mean, on the actual core Kiss albums of the 70s, it was those four guys, except for, in my opinion, Bob Ezrin's interference. I mean, you know, on the actu- on the, those, ma- those first six albums, it, it pretty much was those four guys. And, you know, I think there's been a lot of rewriting of history with Kiss fans to justify the current lineup. I mean, I saw a guy on Facebook say that he heard that Brian Adams played guitar on a live, okay? That's the kind of stuff that they are willing to believe now, looking back. And Brian Adams was 15 years old <laughs> and a Canadian kid, you know, but there, a, a KISS fan was willing to believe, without even giving it any thought, that Brian Adams played guitar on a live, which is beyond ludicrous, but they'll believe that kind of stuff. Well, BJ, that's my favorite part of the Alive album. <laughs> just, we have to say that it's not true, folks. That's just, just because there's one person out there that will hear what I said and think, well, Ken said that, so... Well, yeah, of course, you play it on a live, too. Come on, guys, yeah, everyone knows. everyone knows that. We've kind of skirted around the idea of the deal that was in place. Let's talk about that deal. Should Gene and Paul have recut a new deal with Ace and Peter? BJ, I know you have some strong feelings. Julian, I know you have some strong feelings as well. So, BJ, I'm going to let you take it, and then we'll have uh, Julian answer you, in a sense. Well, let me preface this by saying I don't have any malice or anything I love Kiss. I love what Paul and Gene have done. This isn't hate. People try to, to always say, "Why are you hating? Why are you spewing hate?" I'm just, I'm just gonna say my opinion of what I think happened. I think uh, Gene and Paul had kind of driven the Kiss business off a cliff in the '80s. Uh, you hear about the tax, huge tax bill. You hear about Paul's psychotherapist fleeing the country with tour proceeds. The Revenge tour was not a success. Then they made an imitation grunge album, which Toby Wright actually said now in the Decibel Geek that Gina Paul came to him and said, we want to make a grunge album. That's how desperate they were. So when it came time to do the reunion, I think they were completely desperate and bluffed their way into this contract with Ace and Peter. And Ace and Peter had far more leverage than they realized. And, you know, we don't know the specifics of the deal, but from what I've heard, Gina Paul made at least 10 times more than Ace and Peter on the reunion tour. I don't know if that's 100% true or not, but that's just what I've heard. And if that's true, I think that's completely unfair. And I think a better deal should have been cut in the beginning, but I definitely think that Gene and Paul 
could have cut a better deal with them and made a real reunion album. And the fact that they preferred to make an album without them and then sell it as a reunion album instead of cutting a better deal, it pisses me off. And that's just my reaction and my opinion. Well, BJ, off-air, you and I have discussed, and you've said things like, for example, something to the effect of... uh, it wasn't somebody that probably bought Crazy Nights that said, wow, I've got to go to the reunion show or something like that. Could you speak about that? Yeah, well, there was also this concept that because Gina Paul kept the Kiss name alive in the 80s, that's why the reunion tour was such a success, which I think is completely false. I think if the band had broken up, say, after Un- Dynasty or Unmasked, they still would have been a legendary band that people love, and if they had gotten back together in 96, it still would have been a huge tour. I don't think when people heard that the KISS reunion tour was coming to town, they said, oh, the Crazy Nights guys, <laughs> you know? there Obviously, a lot of people became KISS fans over the course of the 80s. I mean, you know, the first KISS album I bought when it came out was Crazy Nights, but I was a KISS fan when I was five years old in 1979 I would have been a KISS fan whether or not the 80s happened I was a fan of KISS in the 80s um, I don't mean to disparage Crazy Nights by saying that but I don't think that because they made Crazy Nights in 1987 that the reunion tour was a success in 1996 that just to me is complete BS the reunion tour was a success because it was those four guys and uh-huh. Ace and Peter were just as important as Gene and Paul equally as important to the success of that tour in my opinion and of course we know that you were just using crazy nights as a uh you know just 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 an idea not you're you're not picking on yeah i love crazy nights but i think a lot of people there were a lot of people went to the reunion tour who didn't like kiss in the 80s i went to the reunion tour with friends who did not like 80s kiss i think that an argument could be made that in the 80s gene and paul tarnished the legacy of the band more than they helped keep the name alive a lot of people looked down on what they did in the 80s i did and i like it i still like it but it turned a lot of people off Mm -hmm. i mean no i don't think anyone could argue that point and julian with your opinion i I feel like this is a state of the union rebuttal speech um (laughs) but but it's not a rebuttal because i actually i pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll well there you go absolutely (laughs) cue the tunes. You know, I agree with a lot of what BJ just said, but I think 1996, the reunion, was only ever going to be a success because of all four of them. We have to remember, all four of those guys had to get personal trainers to get in shape. That includes Paul and Gene, not just Ace and Peter. I mean, obviously, we know Ace's state in 1995-94, the years immediately before, were some of his lowest in terms of his physical health, uh, his performances, so he was rough. Peter, I, I think, was in better shape, but still needed to get back in the groove in order to tour. But, again, I, I think it's how much value we put on what Kiss did in the 1980s that kind of defines how much importance, or the percentage, I guess, uh, in raw numbers, we assign to Paul and Gene in 1996 when they signed the the contract basically with Ace and Peter for the tour. The 80s are a rough time to look back up when you compare it to the 70s and I'm a fan who became a fan in 1985. I always look back at the 70s as those mythical era, you know, in black and white where the band wore makeup. So for me, when 1996 rolled around, 
I look at it at a different perspective from those who, you know, were fans of the original era and grew up with the original albums as their albums. So the 80s, I see, I mean, in, in, in hindsight now, you see them hopping from one idea to another, from one fad to another, something that, you know, ultimately culminates with the pseudo-grunge album. But I go back to what I said earlier, that Gene and Paul, they kept the ship afloat even if they were steering it onto the rocks. They were at the helm. Peter sold his, finally sold his share of Kiss out in February 1987. Ace obviously sold his share out in 84. They walked away completely. They completely divorced themselves from the business entity, you know, that doesn't have any emotions attached to it. They cashed their checks, they got paid. Gene and Paul were left to play to 1,500 people in audiences on the Crazy Nights tour to struggle to try and rebuild the name. And this has nothing to do with whether we think they did damage to it. They were the ones who held the bag long enough for a reunion tour to be um, a success, to be an appealing enticement to get all those fans who'd walked away from the band back in at good ticket prices. So... But but do you think that if there had never been any non-makeup albums, do you think the reunion tour still could have happened and been the just as big of a success? You, yes and no. Yeah, without a doubt, people would have wanted to see that show again. Would it have been as big of a success had we not had the 80s that came in between? Because, come on, for most people who walked away from the band or went, or even those who went to the shows... You know, going to 3,000 to 5,000 versus the 12,000 of 1977, you know, it was a pretty down period for the band, even if they were trying their their best uh -huh. to, to stay relevant. So, yeah, you know, either way, a reunion tour was going to be big. I think it, it was always going to be big because of people wanting to relive their past more than anything. And that's where we come into the biggest problem with the Psycho Circus album is... I think that people were expecting 1977 again. They wanted an album that sounded like Love Gun, if nothing else. Uh -huh. And that's kind of where Psycho Circus sounds sonically. It fits closer to Love Gun than it does to the rawness of Rock and Roll Over. And I'm probably going a little bit off tangent there with that, you know, starting that thought. And now here's an ad for our friends at the Shabby Road Podcast. Rock and roll and vinyl are meant to go together. <laughs> like drummers and strippers. <laughs> That's right. So maybe it's time to hop on down to your local record store and go digging for some lost gems on vinyl. And that's exactly what we do here at the Shabby Road Record Show. We pick selections from our own personal record collections, and then we discuss the songs, the artists, the albums, and the stories about the music that you may have never heard. And there's nothing more fun than listening to two knuckleheads spinning vinyl and talking music. So dive on into the five-star rated podcast, The Shabby Road Record Show. You can subscribe for free on iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher, where there's a new episode released every Tuesday. Also, you can find us on Facebook and at our website, ShabbyRoadRecordShow.com. I just want to put an idea out there. So imagine Gene and Paul and Ace and Peter are sitting in a room, or however they worked out this contract, and Ace and Peter say, Hey, if you don't want to give us a better deal, put out Carnival of Souls, go out on the Carnival of Souls tour, and see how you do. 
Now, yeah. do you think if that had happened that Gene and Paul would have said, all right, we'll give you a better deal? I think it would have. I think Ace and Peter had a lot of leverage that they were probably too dense to realize they had or they had probably been just been broken down. And I mean, obviously, they were in more dire straits than Gene and Paul, but I think definitely if Gene and Paul had had to face the idea of going out on the Carnival of Souls tour, they would have said, all right, you know, we'll make four times as much as you instead of ten times as much. You know what I mean? And so I, I but Ace and Peter, probably by the time it came to make Psycho Circus, they realized that, and that's why they're not on the record. I think Ace and Peter have been victims of themselves throughout all of their careers. Yes, yeah. And it, it really becomes a bit tedious when we, we look back continuously at the number of times they've kind of shot themselves in the foot. And it's just a shame that they weren't able to ever get themselves on the same level as Gene and Paul. You know, Gene and Paul were always seemed to be aware of what they were doing, even if they made some really god-awful decisions during their careers. They've got no excuses for making those decisions, whereas, you know, Peter and Ace, you know, well, oh, oops, they did it again. <laughs> Plus, it seems like they stab each other in the back occasionally. I mean, Ace had a better deal than Peter, and then when Peter found out about it, he blows up. So, you know, it, it doesn't really help them as far as uh, being in lockstep, if you will. No, and that's a shame where Gene and Paul are, you know, somewhat of a united front, more so in the past, you know, when they have a single focus. Ace and Peter are independent operators unless it's convenient to say something that makes them appear that they're allies. Uh-huh. You know, they're, they're totally looking out for themselves. And they don't seem to see the bigger picture historically, you know, regardless of what album you're talking about, you know, complaining about not getting songs. But they don't seem to be ever in step with one another to say, well, here, we can go up against that 50% be equal to them in terms of how we approach the business side and I know Bill Acoin originally had you know like the fifth vote I believe but right. uh, and he probably would have sided with Gene and Paul but if they had at least ever been consistent allies you know maybe they could have negotiated better you know maybe they could have negotiated a bit better without you know the, their manager at the time so we just don't know what went down in those um, contract negotiations enough to really say anything other than it's obvious they they got a bad deal but uh-huh. they negotiated a bad deal well when you read the the four books the four solo books if you will peter and ace really don't talk too much about it i mean as as far as the psycho circus recording now peter talks about how he felt betrayed by ace because they would have a deal in place and then Ace would come back around and recut his end of the deal, and he was upset about that. And right or wrong, Peter does address it in his book. But as far as the Psycho Circus recordings, I think only Gene and Paul address it, correct? Yeah, and what what you get is they're not addressing things, it's omission. If it was such a big deal to them, you would think that they would be using these opportunities to really lay down their version of stories but they don't have them uh-huh. you know Ace's, Ace could barely string together stories he needed to go get people to help him remember what to put in his book and ended up leaving out most of his career Peter focused on a few areas but neither of them you would have thought that the 
the disgrace Psycho Circus is somewhat held in as, you know, a completely fake, dishonest, um, you know, horrible album, they would have taken the opportunity to say, well, you know, KISS fans, this is what you could have had. But they don't even, they don't even go anywhere uh-huh. with it, which is very disappointing. You know, Peter said it was going to be in the book. Well, very little ended up being in Peter's book. Yeah. BJ? Well, Ace and Peter, Ace and Peter were taken for a ride, and Gene and Paul took them for a ride, and all none of them are proud of what happened, so <laughs> they just left it out. Yeah, but if you get keep keep being taken for a ride all of your career, you would think that you would get people around you who would protect you from that. Instead of you know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. Well, they've done it all their careers. They've always moaned about getting taken for a ride. But when it came time, they got taken for a ride. Yeah, that's true. I mean, whoever I whoever was advising whoever was advising them uh, really dropped the ball big time. Because, like I said, if Gene and Paul had to face uh, whatever they would have had to face if they didn't have the reunion tour, I don't think they would have wanted to face that. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, what 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 they faced instead of the reunion is a horrible, you know, slow end. Yeah. Compared to sudden glory again and right. being on the cover of every press magazine and and peter and ace i mean god bless them it's the sound of ace's guitar it's the sound of peter's drums on those early albums just to see them you know kind of work themselves out of relevance out of any power in making an album you know to become completely irrelevant other than sticking them up on stage for tour it's it was just such a shame BJ, would you like to address what Paul and Gene wrote in their books? Or I just remember Paul saying that he only heard from their lawyers. Uh, the Gene quote about the that they weren't on the album because they were trying to re- negotiate the contract, I believe, was from one of Julian's books where I read that. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know where that came from. If it, I don't think it was in Gene's book, though, was it? I don't recall it being in Gene's book. I, I, again, it's so long since I read Gene's book that the only sentiment that I seem to recall from his was when it came time to record the Psycho Circums album, it was the same as it had been before. Uh-huh. You know, Ace and Peter being difficult, causing trouble rather than making music. Well, I also remember, it wasn't all that long ago, just before Sonic Boom came out, uh, somebody was saying, well, when is this lineup going to record an album? when is the current lineup going to record an album and Gene tweeted something back to the effect of if you if you want to hear this lineup go listen to Psycho Circus which <laughs> I thought was kind of a weird thing at the time but I think he was referencing the fact that like for example Tommy Thayer was on that album and so No but and I so believe forth. Eric Singer refused to play on the album cuz he was pissed off still um, mm-hmm. about how they dropped him like a hot potato so I remember reading that Eric Singer was mad and they asked him to play on Psycho Circus and he said no. Which led to Kevin Valentine. Just like 1992 again. That brings up another topic that Gina Paul obviously can't be very proud of would be what they, how they handled the situation with Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer when they did the reunion. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. But that's business as usual for Kiss, Inc. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Has, has anything ever happened whether it was Vinnie Vincent's departure, Mark St. John's departure, Eric Carr's passing, in a way that all fans could unanimously agree was done with the best possible character. 
and I don't, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't think we're going to be able to project uh, morality into the music business. So, right, it was business as usual for poor Eric and Bruce. But you know, they both landed on their feet. So I could understand Eric being pissed and not wanting to, you know, participate in Psycho Circus because you know he he was working again. Right, and and as a a working musician, he has to keep his word to whoever he's you know contracted to or has agreed to play with. And I I can't remember in '98 who he was already working with because he did a lot of work in that period. That he once he left the band, so obviously he wouldn't want to go back if he was busy. Tommy, right. Tommy was available. Tommy was there. Uh-huh. Kevin Valentine, well, they already knew him. They'd worked with him previously. Right. So from that perspective, it's a great revenge album. <laughs> Kiss FAQ user Ace G has a couple more questions he'd like answered. One, he talks about how Peter Chris claimed that yes, he did play on the album, but he didn't play on it because he would leave the studio for a week and his drums were mixed around into something else, and those are my drums on the album. <laughs> so, <laughs> was Peter talking about the fact that someone used his drum set? Or <laughs> his Who, actual. Who's gonna- Who's going to believe half of what Peter Chris says when he's trying to recollect something? You know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. never very. It's not, how when is it ever very accurate, mm-hmm. or when is it ever? How much credence can you ever really give to it? So, right. You know, that sounds like the the quote that I used in the album focus. Yes. Chapter for Psycho Circus, and you have to remember when the album focus was written was basically back in 2000. So when I was going for quotes and finding them to, you know, kind of patch together to make the story. You know, it's the party line. And right. he's trying to fit in between what's coming out of his mouth and what he's been told to say. And I got to, you know, give Peter Chris a round of applause for that statement because he's trying to make everyone happy and toe the party line all in one shot. <laughs> uh, and it's just not working at all, is it? No, but it's, it's, I, it's, it's one hell of a... Uh, tightrope walk, you know, he really manages to do something there. You were saying, Julian? He manages to fall off that tightrope pretty well, but uh, (laughs) you know, he was in the studio. We know that. He played on one song. So, yeah, he kind of played on one song, and then it got changed around. So, you know, Kevin Valentine came in, and who knows? So he knows that he played in the studio, but he also knows that he didn't, and he also knows, just like Ace, that there were people called Bruce and Mike and everyone else who was behind the control panel messing around with every single piece that was recorded, uh-huh. including Gene and Paul's. Right. So, now, BJ- well, and then you have this Mike Plotnikoff guy saying it behind the mask that the reason Ace and Peter aren't on the record is because Bruce Fairbairn uh, said they weren't good enough to play on the record. And then that just feeds into the current narrative out there about how inept Ace and Peter are and they couldn't have played on the record because they're such terrible musicians and they could never pull off a perform- one song at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they're so inept. They-, they were horrible on those reunion tours. You know, that plays right into all of that and it's completely false as far as I can tell uh, what what Mike Plotnikoff says, but it plays right into the current narrative, so... Yeah, I, I mean, it's it sounds like an, a further attempt to denigrate Ace and Peter and marginalize their importance. They could have performed. I don't doubt that they could have made a record. 
because you know what? They were making records and recording with their own bands at that time. Right. They to that's that's a total, you know, bullshit answer to try and, you know, make them less worthy. You know, just to say, right. well, it's Ace and, Ace and Peter, Ace and Peter. You know, as if you're trying to build up some other lineup of the band at their expense. Uh, but why would Mike Plotnikoff say it? Is what confuses me. Uh, is he a part of the spin machine or what? Well, I think he was there. So he, he was there. He was the engineer, but. I don't think that actually happened where Bruce Fairbairn said they're not playing on the record. I'm making that decision. That's that's ridiculous, but that's what he says. Well, I I think it comes to the whole whole discussion of, you know, the lawyers are talking, they're not playing on the record. They're not playing on the record. Right. Plus you also have to realize that like you take a look at uh, you know, Bruce Fairbairn is from the school of Bob Ezrin in a sense. And Bob Ezrin is about getting it done, one and done. Let's move on. Let's 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 make sure it's done right, but let's get it done. And instead of waiting around to figure out if they were going to show up in the studio, or even perhaps when they were working in the studio, I'm sure Ace has his own way. You you also have to realize that Ace had been out of Kiss, and he was used to doing things on his terms now. So to come back into the lockstep of the Kiss camp, it you know his style is different than Bruce Fairburn's or Gene and Paul's and so on and so forth. I mean, Ace had went out and done it his own way, if you will. Yeah, the all that's an absolutely you know great way of looking at it. Where Gene and Paul had become used to being the landlords with two sidemen who didn't have any say, Ace had become his own master. Uh-huh. as had Peter. And for everything that they hadn't liked about how Kiss had operated for them in 1979-80 for Peter, and by 82-81 for Ace, you know, it, it it could never work, could it? Because you've got four guys who want to control. Well, you remember that clip that Ace put out just before Anomaly dropped, and it was him in the studio, and he's just like, playing just solo parts that could have been in any song if you will and it almost seemed like he was just playing riff after riff after riff just to just to find something you know what I'm saying whereas I think that Bruce Fairburn figured that you should have your part figured out before you come into the studio yeah there aren't a lot of producers that the band have worked with who seem to have a great deal of respect for um, fluidity or jamming, jamming. Yeah, well, you, you as, come as in as and do your heard, part. Kiss is in a jam band, so yeah. they want you to come in one take, two take, three takes. It's the same. We comp it. We're done. Mm-hmm. You know, print it, press it, play it. Right. Now, Ace G also wants to know what song did Ace fall asleep while recording a Paul song for Psycho Circus. I've never All heard right. this. This is, once again, Mike Plotnikoff uh, spewing bullshit in Behind the Mask. That's where that comes from. So. Well, can you read that? Mike Plotnikoff. Ace was sitting next to me putting down a solo on one of Paul's songs. I was looking away from him at the tape remote when I was punching in to record. Bruce was behind Ace and Paul. Bruce was behind Ace, and Paul was sitting on the couch. I kept punching in to record, trying to get the right solo... Then a little while later, I did it again and nothing happened. I got worried that I'd accidentally erased something on the track, 
but what really happened was Ace fell asleep in the middle of doing a guitar solo. Bruce had to slap him on the back to wake him up, and then soon afterward he nailed it. Well, there you go. Well, you know, it, it can take, there can be some delays in the studio, and there are some drugs that do cause <laughs> you to... No, and I'm, I'm speaking actually serious on this, that we know, yeah. we know Ace was not completely clean, and after being on the road with Gene and Paul for eight months, um, actually a year, wasn't it, the uh, Alive Worldwide tour, that he may well have fallen further off the wagon with uh, the personal challenges. So is it possible, or he could have had cold, you know, everyone, he could have had cold syrup that day. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's a nice safe way of uh, phrasing it. NyQuil, that's my drug of choice. So is it beyond a a doubt? I I really think that we get to sort of like a a Gordon Gebert argument here. Mm -hmm. If Mike had said something in Behind the Mask that was blatantly false, would not Ace have sued the pants off Kiss for denigrating his name? Uh, He's probably never read it. (laughs) Yeah, but for... You know, I I just don't I, I don't see it being something that they could get away with printing, or would even gotten past their lawyers, because all of their books are vetted. I mean, even Ace took his to Gene, right, and showed it to him. Would they have put that in a book if they didn't have something factual on which to base it? So whether it's cough syrup, whether it's drugs, whether it's one boring ass song like Body and Soul. Um, I, I, I think the story's true. I, I don't think they would ever have dared put it in, even knowing Ace, that he probably wouldn't have read it, because someone would have come up to Ace and said, hey, Curly, look at this. They're saying you're snoozing off. I mean, and that just to me shouts drugs. Well, that, That's the only thing I can make out of it not being there. I actually have a recording of Ace falling asleep in the studio. Are you ready? I'm, I'm going to play it right now. Is he asleep? Hey, Ace, wake up. What? You know, yeah, I'll just, I'll just punch this right in. It's good. All right, I'm ready. Go. Take two. <laughs> well, there you go, Curly. How, how did that sound? <laughs> no, that's that's just a joke. That's just parody. That's that's just get a sense of humor, gang. All right. So, who do we blame? Why wasn't it a reunion album? What happened? Who's to blame? The producer, Ace and Peter, or Gene and Paul? Who is to blame? BJ, your real like one sentence answer. Gene and Paul. It's, okay, it's Julian. Their fault. I blame them all. Yeah, I'm gonna say all of the above. They're, they're all big kids now. Yeah. And it's weird you, uh, you know, think about what the band was putting out in the press. And BJ, we were talking about a Metal Edge magazine earlier. Mm-hmm. In the magazine, it's just funny how when you read it, uh, they'll ask all the band members a question of how was it in the studio? And then they will just kind of avoid the question and end up talking about something else. In hindsight, now knowing what really happened, when you go and read it, it's kind of funny how they just avoid actually outright lying 
by just kind of changing the subject subtly. <laughs> well, we're but, going um, to play this whole know, interview, but here's Gene talking to Ace and Peter about their work on Journey of a Thousand Years. That really is wow. a musical journey for Kiss. I, love that, I love that one uh, roll that Peter does where he goes... And I'm doing the toggle switch stuff. I love that. (laughs) So that was the band, Gene, Ace, and Peter talking about the fine work that they did on Journey of a Thousand Years. So (laughs) that's kind of interesting. What do you think about that, Julian? I think that's kind of hilarious, you know? I think any song, Ace could say, well, you know that toggle switch thing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, he's Ace Frehley. Yeah. that's his. That's his. That's his meat and potatoes. So I mean, if you want to say something non-specific, say the most obvious thing that either artist is known for. Oh, that little drum roll. You know, I mean, it sounded more like he was jerking off, but um, and it, and maybe that Peter spent more time doing that album doing that. Um, so I, it's it's non-specific. It's, it's just it's just vocal diarrhea. Mm-hmm. The reunion tour was already over. Gene and Paul had made a shitload of money. It comes time to make Psycho Circus. I don't know what numbers are true, but say Gene and Paul made 10 times more than Ace and Peter did on the reunion tour. When it comes time for Psycho Circus, Gene and Paul say, all right, for the Psycho Circus tour, we will make five times more than you. Ace and Peter say, okay, and then they make a real reunion album. Why couldn't that have happened? If you look at it, then you're saying the reason Psycho Circus came out the way it did was because of the sheer greed and audacity of Gene and Paul. What you're calling sheer greed and audacity is earlier you said something to the effect that Gene and Paul are making ten times the amount, right? Yeah. What it would have come down to with Ace and Peter is if Gene and Paul were making one penny more, it still wouldn't have been fair enough. Not necessarily. That That's not necessarily true. Well, except that history... Nobody could, nobody could say for sure, but I, I think Gene and Paul refused to negotiate in any way. Refused. Just said no. No, you signed the contract, we're not negotiating. And perhaps they could have negotiated, where they still would have made a lot more than Ace and Peter, but they could have negotiated to the point where they made a real reunion album. You know, instead of lying like you just played, they're lying to the fans. They could have been honest. Yeah, well, So all you know, four of them lying. It, so. You know, there's no way to say, but isn't it possible that if Gina Paul had negotiated where they still made more, but not as much more, then we could have had a very different album. I don't think you can go there. Because when you have, I mean, look at all these rich Hollywood types, you know, who sue over this, who sue over that, because they're not getting their royalty, you know, allocations accounted for. You don't negotiate from a position of strength to give anything away. The whole point of negotiation is to keep as much as you can. Uh And I don't see them as wanting to be the Salvation Army. You know, they're not about lifting up Peter and Ace. They're about lifting up Gene and Paul. They're totally self-interested. They're not going to see a bigger picture of, well, this will make the fans happier if it well, costs fine, us. fine, but then you don't make the album. You know, then you don't make the album. And that was probably a mistake for them to make the album. They probably should have put out a live album from the tour and taken yeah. a good break. Or they should have gone in when they were re-recording the vocals for "You Wanted the Best" and put a, you know, put four songs, you know, Peter here, give us a song, Ace, give us a song, Gene, give us a song, Paul, give us a song. But you know, that's all after the fact. 
and put it out in 96 before they even hit the road, done it before they'd spend any time together. Because once you spend time together, you know, they're, they're not going to negotiate themselves down. Oh, all right, guys, we had a good tour. You know, we'll give you 2% raise, you know, and you get to do the fries and wash lettuce this year. But uh, they could have. They could have. They could have, but what's Peter Chris going to say? Fucking 2% raise? Fuck that, you ball bag motherfuckers. And a shout out to KST for me co-opting their Peter Chris imitation. You know, that's not well, going to happen. Know, we don't know what he would have said, but they didn't, I don't think, that, I mean, obviously there was, n- there was no negotiation. That we know of. There may have there been. There wasn't, there wasn't any. Gene and Paul just said, we'll make it without you. You know, there's, but, a, there's but, very little piece of uh, Peter Chris's contract for the reunion tour that circulates out there. And I know these were sold several years ago uh-huh. uh, fully. And the agreement dated January the 5th, 1996, makes it very clear in legal terms that Peter sold his soul to be the Kiss Company's bitch again for that five-year period. Uh-huh. As simple as that. Why would they renegotiate? I mean, they make it very clear. Whereas, until June the 5th, 1980, Artist was a member of the Kiss Band and appeared in costume and makeup as the cat character, the image, during Ouch. Kiss performances. And whereas, by agreement dated February the 3rd, 1987, Artist transferred, with certain exception, all his rights, title, interest in Kiss, or the partnership, to that partnership. Uh-huh. the separation agreement and whereas an affiliate of the company is the sole owner of the image with the right to use the image without limitation or obligation to the artist you know and and so on and so forth and I don't, I'll get a real headache if I read legal stuff it would have been the same for Ace um, well mm-hmm. maybe Ace had a side negotiation that maybe had something slightly different but it very much make it, makes it clear that Gene and Paul and their lawyers said to Ace and Peter at that point, before they'd even started rehearsing, you are ours for five years to use. Right, but that was a bluff. That was a bluff that Ace and Peter didn't call them on, but they were bluffing <laughs> when they made that deal. And if Ace and Peter had called them on it and said, go see how you do on the Carnival of Souls tour, guys, that would have they could have called that bluff. But they were too. Well, they, they didn't. Too and dense. They didn't have the representation. But you say, you say, why would they renegotiate? Well, I would argue out of concepts like fairness and humanity, and let's let you know, it could be a lot of fun to write songs and make a record, and they could have said, all right, let's, you know, let's just do this, let and make a record and have fun, and we don't have to, you know, be business robots. We could. Sure, maybe we could give them a better deal and make a fun record and and not have it turn out the way it turned out. I alluded to this a little bit earlier, and it's going to sound very crass the way I word it now, but ask Eric Carr and his family. Ask Mark St. John. Well, we can't ask either of those. Ask Vinnie Vincent about kisses, and, and this is Gene and Paul, negotiation, fair negotiations and their perceptions on those. They haven't done it, uh-huh. for what we know. And again, we are very much outsiders looking in here. There's a hell of a lot of supposition on my side with those statements. I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm right. just saying from everything that we have heard with Mark being let go, with Eric's passing, with Vinnie Vincent's contract issues, there's a theme that runs throughout the latter part of history once the originals era is over as to how the business was run. It was not about fairness. It was never about fairness. It was about maximizing 
whether it was songwriting, performance, or whatever royalties, to get that money back into the KISS organization, which is Simmons and Stanley. So why would they change what they had been doing for, you know, this is 1998 for 16 years, you know, with uh, when Ace really left the band. You can't teach a dog new tricks. That's how they'd become used to operating. Uh-huh. And when you, I'm sorry, when you're when you're negotiating with a gun, a couple of utter fuck ups like Ace and Peter have been so many times in their negotiations. You know, they moan about this, they moan about that. Well, there's a common thread that, that goes there. So they're not going to renegotiate. They're going to sound like Gene Simmons or Paul. As much as you want mom and dad to get back together, ain't going to happen. Right. If you made as much money as Peter Chris did during that time, would you? have been happy or sad because i know for myself i would take that payday in a heartbeat bj yes, obviously obviously i Julian? would take that payday in a heartbeat but i don't know what the payday was so i don't know if i would take it in a heartbeat knowing how much work was going to go into you know that tour right well yes that's true and my, i don't know what my mental state is there either you know whether you know but both of them are kind of injured people uh-huh. Injured personalities, and we know Paul is as well from what he's talked about in his book. Yeah. So, would I take it? Most likely for the money, yeah. But I don't know where I'm at at that time. Well, let me ask you guys: Were Ace and Peter taken advantage of by Absolutely. Gene Paul? Absolutely. Right. I, I I don't doubt that for a minute. But you you go in there knowing that these guys are schmucks when it comes to negotiating, and you're going to start. I mean, it's like a episode of Pawn Stars. Uh-huh. You know, I'll give you 50 bucks for that. Oh, okay. Here's here's my Fabergé egg. It's worth 5000 Okay, the, I'll the, give the you really 60 The really sad thing is when it came time to make Psycho Circus, Ace and Peter did have leverage, except that Gene and Paul were willing to be completely dishonest. If Gene and Paul had, had been honest, then Ace and Peter had leverage. But they were willing to be dishonest, so Ace and Peter didn't have any leverage. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I would say Ace and Peter may have had leverage, but did they have unified leverage? There and you then, go. But then people could also say, well, Ace and Peter were also dishonest because they sold the company line about the record when it came out, too. So If it meant that much to them, they should have been kicking and screaming. And if right. they had so much leverage, then why are we even talking about Psycho Circus? Because the album got made, regardless of any leverage that they may or may not have had. And while a lot of the fans with better ears, musical ears, than I have were able to say, well, that's not frickin' Ace, that's not Peter. I didn't notice. I mean, I look back at my review of uh, Psycho Circus that I wrote in 1998, and I was like, I cringe. No, I'm like, I'm really going on about Peter's drumming's fantastic on this album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't like the production from day one, but, you know, the music, I, there with a few exceptions, and uh, mm-hmm. you've mentioned a couple of the songs. You know, I couldn't tell. You know, I'm, I hear Ace on there and you know fortunately he's he's singing so uh, i don't have to try and pick out his guitar which i wouldn't be able to do you know i hear peter he's singing so the natural assumption is oh my god this is what kiss fans felt like in 1979 when they found out 10 years later that that wasn't peter right Let's talk about the alternate takes and unreleased songs. Let's let's talk about some of those, and you can find these on YouTube if nowhere else. Of course, we don't endorse bootlegging or anything here on the podcast, 
but there are these alternate takes. Would you name some of the songs that never made it to the actual album? Yeah, I, I think first you got to differentiate between the alternate takes and the additional tracks. The core one, obviously, is Body and Soul, which is a Paul song that I think he described as not really fitting in with the overall theme of the rest of the, uh, the material on the album. I've been going out of my head reminds me of something off of Live to Win. I think it could have fit on that very easily. Uh, I don't think it could. It reminds me more of like the time traveler share crap of the mid to, to late 80s that he was recording with a keyboard in his room. But then there's the Kiss version of Carnival of Souls. I Want to Rule the World, which is a fantastic Gene song. a very good gene song i'd much rather have seen that go on the album than within uh-huh. yeah i agree i am yours The, the songs that did not make the album, which is a real shame, because even as late as June 1998, you know, they were still talking about Body and Soul uh, uh-huh. being on the album. A, a lot of the, the alternate mixes are just different treatments of the tracks. You know, it's that part of the studio process, so orchestration in different areas. The standouts for me of those songs are the alternate ace guitar solos on his songs. Uh-huh. You know, I, I find them raw, more crunchy. There's an earlier version of Raise Your Glasses with different lyrics. And Peter's song, 
with uh, more orchestration in different areas, uh-huh. a different intro or a slightly different clown intro to Psycho Circus. So go on YouTube because they're, they're definitely worth, they're just part of what you'd expect any band to go through with material in the studio. Just You see why Carnival of Souls doesn't go on the album. You see, right. you see why Body and Soul doesn't. You know, just little bits and pieces. Ooh, just I forgot, that's... Rain Keeps Falling. The rain keeps falling down on me That is or isn't, BJ. It's not. You know, a lot of them really aren't the greatest. But then again, I don't think a lot of the songs on that album are the greatest. I don't love Body and Soul, but I like it more than Pledge of Allegiance and Rays of Glasses, personally. I think Bruce Fairbairn ruined It's My Life, which is an incredible song. I really wish they would have done that. Like, if that song had been on Creatures of the Night, it would have been so great. And it would have been one of their best songs of the 80s, I think. I, that's I such agree. a great song. It's crazy that they never did anything with it, but I do not like what Bruce Fairbairn did to it at all. Yeah, it loses something. It's too polished. Yeah. When I knew that when I heard that Kiss were making a a, a new album with the original members, I was not like, "Oh, I hope there are Carnival of Souls outtakes on there." <laughs> yeah, I want to rule the world. There's a really cool song, but it's it still is Gene trying to write a modern sounding like late 90s song instead of a uh more straightforward rock and roll song, which I guess or, is what I was hoping for. Let's be honest, a 70s Kiss type song. That's that's what we really wanted. Well, just those four guys jamming in a room writing songs or working out songs and making a, a rock and roll record, you know, mm-hmm. that's just what I wanted to hear. And when right. was the last time that they actually did that, though, to create an album? That would <laughs> yeah, have been, but they could have done it. Hill. BJ, look at the hill that they would have had to have climbed. I mean, whether it's them arguing about money or arguing about a guitar tone or somebody's, you know, bothering them the way that they're looking at them. The the band hasn't... I'll just simply say this, that the reunited Kiss in itself was a myth. Other than playing on stage, they never actually reunited. They were never the four who were one. And it's sad because we as rock fans want them to be a band but really it was reunion and name and performance only yeah but why was gene going back to his carnival of souls songs i don't I mean, know what you know and you know i want to rule the world is a cool song but then it's also trying to still trying to be the smashing pumpkins like well like wait Toby a second Wright was talking about how they wanted to how they kept saying billy corgan billy corgan when they right. made carnival of souls and and he and gene is still there uh, on psycho circus he's still there trying to make uh modern or alternative sounding songs i don't understand why well i think that's because paul wanted to be everything from aerosmith to alice in chains and uh by aerosmith i mean even them doing nothing can keep me from you i mean if you look at I really think that Paul was thinking that we could use Kiss as a vehicle to get to that point. You know what I'm saying? Well, nothing could keep me from you. They just should have called, I don't want to miss a thing, part two, Electric Boogaloo. You know, they they might have well just called it that. Wasn't that the actual title for a while? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So I think that Gene still wanted to be relevant. I, I think that they wanted to do a classic album, but still remain relevant. And you can't do that. You just can't. I think they were lazy. 
they were relevant though they were kiss they were huge they you know they were they were huge a huge deal everyone loved kiss they were relevant kiss was relevant they didn't have to try to sound like anything else julian you said that they were lazy they had become so used to trying to sound like other bands i mean that again like i've described their business acumen they'd been trying to sound like bon jovi they'd been trying to sound like the 90s rock bands with revenge they'd tried to sound like alice in change chains they'd somewhat lost any sense of originality yeah but doesn't that go back to the 70s i mean just just for the sake of the discussion they wanted to sound like the fire brigade turned into firehouse and free all right now turned into hotter than hell but all of those songs turned into what they had because they had a band behind them mm-hmm. they were rehearsing those songs right together back then this right. stuff and uh, we can also lump in the stuff that Ace and Peter brought in because Ace wasn't exactly writing by himself. Uh-huh. Peter wasn't writing by himself, the stuff that we know of. I mean, we know, uh, you know, there's one song that Peter allegedly wrote with Tommy Thayer called Together uh, that no one's ever heard. Ace, of course, brought in You Make It Hard For Me, which he later admits uh, that, that he used on Anomaly, uh, uh-huh. but he rewrote because he couldn't remember who wrote what on it originally anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, Peter and Gene allegedly wrote a song called Justice for All, which would have just been too ironic, so I don't know how much credence I put into that. Um, <laughs> it's justice for me, so to paraphrase. Yeah, yeah. you know, Gene Simmons, all is me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> me. Me is all. BJ, you were talking uh, earlier in the week to me about Peter Chris's song off of All for One. What was the name of that song, BJ? Hope. Yes. They decided they had to have a Peter Chris ballad on this record. Peter Chris, I think, brought even more than one ballad, according to him, um, mm-hmm. including this song, Hope, which you can hear his version of, which is pretty awful. The vocals are terrible, but you have to think, you know, they could have taken it in the studio at the time they made Psycho Circus and made it a listenable song. Like I say, it couldn't have possibly been worse than I finally found my way to you. I'm afraid to walk out the door I don't think I could do this once more Oh, baby, you give me hope I was alone most of the time Didn't have the right sense to Oh, baby, oh, baby, you give me hope It's a hell of a crime ballad needs to be heartfelt and honest and if you write an obligatory ballad just to fill a spot on a record that's already incredibly problematic and if you just throw it together in the studio just so you have a ballad you know it's going to be a piece of shit that's almost unavoidable that's not how you you write a song especially a ballad so Uh that song is just completely empty of any substance you know there's no substance there it's just an obligatory placeholder right you know and so what would have been the harm in using peter's song which certainly wasn't any worse right when you listen to peter's song hope it it's thematically almost the same 
kind of thing. Yeah. The songs could have merged into one thing. But then again, that pesky songwriting royalty, so... Yeah, and, th- and there's the thing. But if you have Peter Chris coming in to record a song, you know, he's, he's finally going to put a vocal down. You know, I can just imagine Paul on the phone to Bob. Hey, we got to do another Beth here for Peter's sake. He, he brought in the song, and it's okay. But, you know, I don't want him to get the publishing. Ouch. And Hope, you know, Hope and the whole of One for All, and obviously that's a whole different kettle of fish, it, a producer could have done something with that. Peter, yeah. you're out of tune. Let's do another take. Uh-huh. Peter, you're yeah. still out of tune. Let's do another take. <laughs> Peter, this is how it sounds when you're in tune. They, they could have done something with that and, you know, given Peter his writing credits and his own song that he was emotionally connected to instead of an utterly, utterly vacuous piece, which I despise. I do not like that song, other than one high point, uh, and that's Paul and Peter harmonizing on it it's so embarrassingly bad and it is so forced and calculated and like i said devoid of of any substance at all um it's just very sad <laughs> it's it, it's contrived therefore it's very yes. kids <laughs> so maybe you actually got the real kiss reunion album because it was really about as reunited as kiss was and that's something i i firmly believe that the Psycho Circus album is honest in that it is completely fake. You know, everything that has gone on historically in KISS, all the things that we could focus negatively on are positively represented on this album. Right down to blaming the producer for everything, so... I do blame the producer. Not for everything, but he phoned it in, like I said, big time. Um, Terrible choice for producer. But do any of but, us actually believe that Bruce Fairburn could have done anything that Gene and Paul did not have a veto on? Do we think that they would have ever given up that ultimate control? And I don't think they would. Right, but I don't think Bruce. I don't think he brought anything to the table besides pressing record. Oh yeah, I don't think he brought anything in there at all. But you know, he's a convenient fall guy. To kind of go off what Julian's saying, like for example, you look at Bob Ezrin. If he would have come in. It would have been a vastly different record if Bob Ezrin was allowed to be Bob Ezrin. I think that they wanted Bob Ezrin, but they didn't want someone who was going to boot camp them like he did on Destroyer. They didn't want to be told what to do. And I think that a producer only has as much power as you let him when you're the one that holds the purse strings. You know, all of those players on the album, or what should have been the players on the album, Ace, Gene, Paul and Peter... Could any of them have really survived a Destroyer-like session again of Bruce saying, no, this is crap. No, we're doing this. No, no, you're out of time. Gene, sing like that. Could any of them have wanted to go through that process at that stage in their life? Or did they want an easy way out? So Gene comes in with all his recycled crap as usual. You know, I don't think he wrote anything particularly new for for the album, apart from coming up with the saccharin, We Are One. Um, Paul auto-dialed the first number on his Rolodex, which was obviously Holly Knight. Uh, (laughs) You know, he reached straight into the, I need to do a song. I don't see anything that original in Paul's compositions as much as I do like, um, you know, years on, I do like 
Psycho Circus and I Pledge Allegiance. Uh -huh. But, you know, raise your glasses. I mean, it's almost like the elder in, in senses, you know, well, we're going to do this 3D stuff, so we got to have a song called Raise Your Glasses. And Paul's like, oh, yeah, cool, you know, you know that can be like you're holding up a drink glass or you're putting on your, you know. It's, yeah. it's, so, it's so calculated and, and contrived through and through. It's just a common theme that runs, you know, through every song. Uh, or what would Bob Ezrin do? Well, you know, he'd tie the album to a closer. Okay, Journey of a Thousand Years. Let's throw in the intro to Psycho Circus again, you know, and, and say it all time. You know, it's... Just taking all the things that they'd done historically, you know, oh, I got the song I did in 1973. Uh, let's throw that in there. So, you know, as a Kiss fan, I would not have wanted a Bob Ezrin production. I would have wanted a Dress to Kill type album. Write some fun songs and have fun making an album. And that's all I would have wanted from it, out of it. The only way that that would have been possible is instead of doing a world tour, if they would have said, okay, Let's start up and let us know when you've got 11 songs, guys. And there's no way that they're going to be in a room that long together. No way. Yeah, that album would have been written quicker than Dressed to Kill. Right. I would much have preferred that. Yeah, I but mean, BJ, that's on, that's fantasy, bro. They wrote Pledge Allegiance and Razor Glasses. That was Those were probably written in 10 minutes. That's how it seems to me. I don't, It doesn't seem like they put a whole lot of time into any of this either. So. Right, but the difference... Is, is some young men who are very hungry trying to make something happen, scrambling to put out the best product and maximize their potential, as opposed to like, listen, uh, I need to have the car drive me over to the studio today and, uh, you know, make sure that, you know, that the grapes are just the way I want them and so on and so forth. These guys were rock stars. They were millionaires. And they were not going to go back to those sweaty clubs or that kind of thought. That, that It's impossible to get back there for them. Well, Why not? It's fun, fun, right? It is fun, BJ, but it's not real. I mean, once you've... It, it, it's almost like kind of like once you've been married to somebody, it's hard to go back to that first date. Especially after you've divorced that somebody. <laughs> and go back to the first date. Make sense? I don't know. It's fun to write songs. It's fun to play in a band. They could have just had fun. Yeah, but this was That's not about fun. None of the lawyer meetings were about fun. Nothing about Reunion Kiss was really about fun for the band. But it could have been. But it yeah. wasn't. It was a five-year plan to maximize profits. Yeah. So how much effort were they going to put into working with the troublesome children as they perceived it, perhaps? And I don't say that's right or wrong, because... Ace and Peter are such a core component of the band sound. They were just looking for the next thing they could do to tour. Because by that point in the music business, you already know where your, your bread and butter is. It's out on the road. Record sales are already dropping. And for this band, they had already dropped. The reunion uh -huh. albums that they'd put out, you know, be it MTV Unplugged, which got a bit of a, a, a boost because of the reunion. You wanted the best, greatest kiss. You know, they weren't exactly selling like hotcakes, even you know, to the casual record-buying public. Sound yeah. scan figures through the, through the period show that the KISS catalog does not shift a whole lot of albums. So they, know, they have their royalty statements. They know what the albums are shifting in the period. They know that an album is not going to be a tremendous seller, especially when they see the stats from the Alive Worldwide tour and the drop-off as they oversaturate, as they overexpose, as they repeat all the sins of 1977 over again. They know 
that the path of least resistance, whether it's being lazy with material, uh, you know, phoning in recycles, you know, getting a producer and, and laying it on him to put an album together without two core members. So, you know, here's a here's our road manager or whatever Tommy's role was. He's going to fill in for Ace. Um, and we know this dude who can, you know, play drums, you know, just put out the product so that we have an excuse to get out on the road. That's what it is. That's what Peter and Ace are tied to the contract, touring. They're, t they're, they're tied to that. And if you just throw something out there so that you can tour again, that's hopefully where you're going to make your money. Right. But they also would have known that they're not going to make the same sort of money again that they made in 96, 97. You know, that ship has sailed. They have brought back to everyone, relive your past. They know they can't do it musically. They don't have enough in the vaults to go back and visit that they could have done a Van Halen. And I wouldn't be surprised if they thought about it. At least Gene doing Sweet and, Sweet and Dirty Love is him going back to 1976. Uh -huh. But they couldn't knock that into enough shape. So get out on the road. That's all we can do. We need downtime to let the market recover, but we need to get back out on the road. You know, we've got a five-year period here, and the clock has been ticking from, what was it, January of 96 when they signed the contracts. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today, Julian. Would you like to plug your books? Which, by the way, BJ, you and I, we love these books, don't we? The KISS FAQ books? Yeah, the KISS album focus books. They're great. Love them. We, we cannot recommend it enough. You, you can get them on Kindle now as well, so check it out. We, we definitely... Yeah, all, all new editions on the Kindle. You know, there's a competition going to spot the grammatical errors. No, I'm just joking on that. They're, you know, they're fan books. I, I appreciate you guys uh, making kind comments about them. You know, they're really a thing of the past now. We're 15 years on from when these first came out, uh -huh. even though they've, uh, you know, kind of been through a few different versions over the years. Um, and I know some people are working on new books that are going to be much more interesting. So I've, I've had fun today talking to you both. I, I will say this. Uh, in, in summation, I feel that whether we like it or not, Psycho Circus is much more of an honest album than any of us want. Because what we wanted was not what was really happening. So thank you, Julian. And we look forward to hearing and seeing your KISS FAQ podcast. And we'd like to let folks know that that's out there, and, and we welcome you to the KISS podcasting world. Thanks a lot, Ken. Abandon all hope. <laughs> <laughs> and BJ, if we... KISS is doomed, I'm doomed. Yes, we're, KISS is doomed, we're all doomed. Uh, BJ, <laughs> we'd like to promote your show, Rock and or Roll podcast. Yeah, I'm sure I've won over a ton of new fans. <laughs> <laughs> Whether we agreed or disagreed, it has been a respectful conversation amongst ourselves and about a band that we love. Whether we don't like everything they do, we love this band. If you want to end the episode here, you can, but here is an interview with Kiss in their own words from the Psycho Circus release party. We trimmed the music off of it, and here you go. This is about as honest as the band was being at the time. You can hear all the truth, the lies, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And a few laughs along the way as well. Take it away, Kiss. Come on, dudes! Let's crank it! Five, four, three, two. We have ignition. Welcome to the show. Ace Freely, Paul Stanley, Peter Chris, right. Gene Simmons. Yes, 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 yes.
the first recording that the four original KISS members have made in nearly 20 years. Welcome to the show. And we say welcome to the show. And welcome the KISS Psycho Circus world premiere broadcast from the Album Network. And I'm Dr. Detroit, Doug Podell, and it's good to have all four original members of KISS. Three, that was three. <laughs> in case anybody's wondering, we're not getting along very well. <laughs> that was going to be one of my first questions. Hey, stuck but uh, Ace Fraley is here. <laughs> also, Paul Stanley. Is not dead. Peter Chris. Hey. And, uh, well, Dr. Love himself. Gene Simmons is here. Ralph Lipschitz III, please. <laughs> Very well. And, uh, well, welcome to the show. And welcome to the Album Network premiere of Psycho Circus. It's... You guys have got to be extremely happy. We've had a chance to hear some of the album. It's absolutely fantastic. You've had a chance to tour together. You've had a chance to, you know, live together a little while now. Uh, what made you decide, after all that, to go into the studio and record together? You know, the room, was, the room grows silent. Well, you know, I don't think we've ever been asked that question. That's, it's actually Everybody a always thinks question. it's money, but it's not What's money. Decide? It's really, you know, I mean, at this point, if it's not fun, then we wouldn't be doing it. You know, there, there's no faking what's going on in here. I mean, we're, we're, the, we're the imbeciles that everybody thinks we are. We're, you old you know, faker, you. <laughs> we, we're having a lot of fun, otherwise we'd exactly. stay home. Yeah. Peter today in rehearsals was telling me what nice legs I have, which <laughs> it's actually true. Which I is saw made I, me very suspect of him. I thought I knew him very well. I liked I, it better without the pumps, though. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm I'm in the back <laughs> watching him. <laughs> After a while, he's not noticing things about each other. We he didn't we, notice a long time ago. We it's spent. Boy, your legs are looking. We've been together longer than most people have been alive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been together now something like 27, 28 years, yeah. and. Uh, one way or the other, you know, the family's been together, then the family split, then the yeah. family got back together again. I think we're older, we're wiser. And we're older. And, you know, we're, you know what it is? It's like very few people get one chance at success, much less two. This is our third time up at bat, you know. First time up, became the kings of the mountain. Last tour was the number one grossing mm, tour. Absolutely. And here we go again. So we're, we're very, very appreciative of each other, and that's not, you know, we don't want to get too cornball about it, but... You know, you can see us touching each other. You love me. Just tell them the truth. You know, we, we never... I actually do. I mean, we really wouldn't have done the reunion tour if we didn't think that we could live up to it and surpass our history. We'll you know, the, 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 well. the strangest thing for us is having such a big past means that we have to get out of the shadow of our biggest competition, which is us. So, same thing with Psycho Circus. We never would have gone in and attempted a new album if we didn't know that we could live up to what we had done before. And it's in the grooves, man. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that uh, KISS fans all across the nation are happy. KISS history is being made once again, and KISS is back. And we are certainly excited about all of that, I can tell you for sure. It's Psycho Circus time. You have always had, it's been part of the KISS history, the big stage shows. 
this one, we understand, is going to be bigger than ever. Well, if we go out on tour, how's that? <laughs> Isn't that mysterious? If we were to go out on tour, we would go out with a, a spectacular well, show that would leave the last show in the dust. I, if we were to go out on tour. Right. Okay. I had previously heard that you flirted with the idea. Of men. Back during, <laughs> back of during the of Destroyer men. era. <laughs> <laughs> now stop it. We don't want to start any of those rumors. Well, Paul, Paul was offering, once he found out you were calling yourself Dr. Detroit, he was offering to turn sideways and call. You Paul, had a good button there. Paul, after the show. <laughs> but during the Destroyer While era, you're down there. did you not, Gene, did you not uh, have an idea? For a circus back then. No, I, I want to. I want to set it straight. We already said it at Metal Edge, so it must be true. Okay. Yeah. No, right. The, the, whole, <laughs> the whole idea really started between conversations that we had with, uh, you know, lots of people, and specifically a guy named Doc McGee, who has big ideas. The guy will not stop talking, <laughs> and uh, one day he was talking about, wouldn't it be great? You know, that's always a sort of modus operandi. Uh oh. Doc is Doc is actually big. It's, it's actually like. It's like stream of consciousness. You let Doc go, and it's like a seance. This voice comes out, and he rattles off all these things that he would like to see happen. And most of them are as crazy as the stuff we come up with. And he was, uh, you know, he was responsible for, you know, a good part of the idea that became the seed of the, this this new show that we we would do if we were going to go on tour. If, if we were going to go on tour. Well, okay. So we're not going to really reveal the fact, but there have been some rumors at a couple of big shows. I've are heard coming that. up, I've heard that. and yes. they're rumors. Only. And if they were going to happen, they would probably happen in the cities you think they're going to happen. If they were going to happen, what, what have you heard? What? what uh, we're also well, we've heard three D. What too. do you know? <laughs> what do you well, you're just throwing them all out there now, Ace. Well, I mean, if it was going to happen, what do you know? What do you want to tell us? Well, I think you have to tell him. He knows will, where you live. We will reveal what have those you secrets heard? coming what? up later in the broadcast. Oh, okay. Stay tuned. Well, coming up next, we're going to play another song from Psycho Circus. A great song that I think is actually a song that you guys more than likely did for the fans. And that is, you wanted the best, you've got the best. And this one, Gene, well, we were talking about it. It features all four of you on vocals, and that is a first. Actually, the lyrics uh, really came from a lot of the, the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the interviews we've done in the past during the 80s, you know, weren't too kind to each other. We'd all, you know, like any family that breaks up, we'd say stuff about each other out of anger out of pain and all that stuff so a lot of those uh, magazine articles were the basis of the lyric you know some of the stuff in fact we wind up singing so it's the first time the entire band sings together each everybody takes a line so it's the first time yeah. we've all four sung together on a song it really sounds to me like a song that could come right out of your intro that you do when you do tour and uh, and just open up the show with and have each member right there and just and I can just envision the crowd just going absolutely crazy for this. If we one. tour, you never know. If this would tour. be a great opening song. Uh, have Doc mark that one down. I mean, he will. <laughs> well, with this song and with the possibility of a tour coming up, there are many rumors out there on the internet. Obviously, you've had to have known about them. They're talking about a Halloween show, a New Year's Eve show in my hometown of the Motor City. And they're also talking about, and this is the one that I heard that I thought was great, that the tickets are going to be 3D glasses. And when you come in, you put the glasses on, and somehow the band is wearing costumes that 
are transformed into 3D. You know, that's amazing because that is 100% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, why you're here to explain no, you know, all these details. I'm making part, you know, half a joke because the amazing thing is if you, you log on and you check the internet, 95% of what you read there is pure fantasy. It's either people's hopes of, of what they would like to see. Um, when we had barely started the album, there was song titles being listed, songs that we never heard of. Um, you know, people have a great time on the internet, but um, I think it's more recreational than anything else. Um, I He's think being kind. We actually have much stronger feelings yeah. about the Internet. Well, or about the informa informational Internet sort of exchanges, that's fine. Mm -hmm. When people have nothing to do with their lives and spend a lot of time in front of the Internet typewriters, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, kinda, you it's know, grandma it's, gossip. Well, it's time. very reactionary, and immediate people, reaction. Usually starting with the word bull. Well, it's yes. also everybody gets a chance to be a star because nobody else is there to give them the hook and pull them off stage. Well, is it true, the 3D aspect of the show, in any form or regard? Because, you know, I, have, I would have to say that you have always taken risks, and you've taken big risks for the fans. Let, and, and, it, and it seems like that's part of KISS's nature, to go out and do big, elaborate things that no other band would do. And it, it wouldn't surprise us, let's just put it that We're going to have a, a big press conference on the 21st of the month, okay, where we're really going to be talking about everything in detail. What's that going to happen? And that's going to happen uh, in Los Angeles. At, at, uh, Maybe. I'm, I'm watching somebody go, that's right, you can say that. Uh, we are just puppets in here, folks. Someone is in there pulling Pull the string. Pull a string. Pull a string. We are having a press conference in Hollywood at Man's Chinese Theater. And that's all I'm going to tell you, except we're going to tell you everything that you wanted to, to ask tonight that we may not be able to answer. <clears throat> There's a lot to talk about. And uh, if we were to tell you about the possible tour or all kinds of other things that could be possible, it would make it anticlimactic. Well, we, we are here to celebrate the release of the new Psycho Circus. I know that if a tour were to follow, it would be tremendous, Monster. and it's going to be monstrous, yeah. and it's going to be outrageous. I mean, safe and to I'm, say... And we're all looking forward to... Yeah, I mean, to, safe uh, to say that... Anything we do at this point has to top what we've done before. And that's going to be tough. And, and that's what we would do. Yeah. All right. Well, let's play another song from this great new album, Psycho Circus. And uh, this one written by Ace. Mr. Ace Fraley. Back in the band. A lot of people are extremely happy about that. Uh, let's check this Including one Including myself. Very good. It's called Into the Void. And it's brand new Kiss from Psycho Circus on the Album Network World Premiere. <laughs> Ace, who wrote that one right there, Into the Void, and Ace, this I certainly... By the way, I wasn't the only writer on that. It was also uh, my okay. old bass player, Carl Cochran. Very good. Well, Carl the Cock Cochran, but, you know, <laughs> we don't... Yeah. All right, Great well, guy. Uh, you do get a chance to stretch out a little bit more on this album, though. Do you not, Ace, compared to the early days? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. <laughs> Everybody's waiting. Everybody's waiting for well, this is a profound statement. Yes. No, you know, I, I think this album shows growth. It shows... Uh, right here. I think this... Did you see what he just pointed to? <laughs> <laughs> no, this album, I think, is, is everything that the KISS fans expected and wanted and more. Right. Well, it's, it certainly is m much more produced than the early days. Is it not, Gene? No. <laughs> it certainly sounds bigger. Yes, it sounds the... What we did was we tried to make a Kiss record Kiss that was more fidelic. It looks bigger. That was more fidelic. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's basically us going in there with guitars, and that's it. There I are mean, no synthesizers and no boys' choirs, although we have no problem with any of that. <laughs> Well, I think well we have to get rid of the boys' choirs because, you know, <laughs> what happened that. last time. No. I think what we're really privileged to here is the fact that KISS went in with the same attitude that they did in the 70s, yes. but with, with the year 2000 technology. What we era. really wanted to do was not make a retro album, mm-hmm. but retain what we had, had really gotten on tour, which was that magic chemistry again, and use Destroyer as really the the standard that we had to meet. We didn't want to make just an album where we strapped on the guitars and uh, just went in and played. What made Destroy such a great album was that we tried to push the limits of what we did and still stay true to the band. So that's basically what Psycho Circus is all about. Peter, did it help that you actually got to start out by touring first, being together, practicing together, working out, and then after all of that excitement sort of wore off and the tour wore off that you were able to go into the studio then as opposed to, you know, reversal? For me, yeah. yeah. I mean, I as a drummer... I need a lot more to get exactly. to, to really to get all to get mm-hmm. the whole sort of big picture to get the feel back. Yeah. So I mean, we got to know each other after 17 years. We were away from each other. Getting back together is probably the best thing that happened to me. I, I love hanging out with the guys again. So we we fallen in love again, <laughs> kind of say. So yeah, I mean, you just gave me a ring last week. I'm... And Paul got me a watch. So we're all in love. <laughs> you know, I can't I can't bitch about it. it no, yeah, it, it, the tour was really a, a bonding thing for yes. us. And for Peter's me, hoping for rough sex. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually. So yeah, yeah, it did help absolutely. Let's get to the next song on the album. It's from Psycho Circus. It's the world premiere broadcast from Album Network, and it's I pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll. Stand up. Another great song from the Psycho Circus album, I Pledge Allegiance to Rock and Roll. Testifying to the the power of the almighty music. There's no doubt about it. I'm going to tell you, when I first heard just a portion of this album, the first thing I saw it is, is that you could go out on tour, do this album by itself live, walk off stage, and every Kiss fan would be happy about it. The songs are that powerful. You know, that good, really. And it really is a tribute to the uh, the amount of time and, and obviously effort that you put into this one. It really is. I love you, man. It really is good. <laughs> Thank you. The check's in the mail. <laughs> On top of the new album and the hopefully upcoming tour, a custom Kiss car is currently being built. And so we'll we can escape. In Doc's basement, we're building it. <laughs> oh, I thought it would be for Doc's sure in the Motor City, right Doc's there off the assembly a, line. It's a little secret place Doc has in his well, basement. Well, it's, it's going to be given away to a lucky KISS fan. Now, you'll have between September 22nd, which is the in-store date of Psycho Circus, and December 1st to enter the KISS, the KISS <laughs> Custom Car Sweepstakes. And here's the information on what to do, and then we're going to come back with more of this great Psycho Circus world premiere broadcast. Don't you dare go anywhere. KISS is building a unique, one-of-a-kind custom sports car with more bells, whistles, lights, and sound than you could possibly imagine. And they want you to have it. Now, we were just talking about the custom car giveaway. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Why don't you guys tell me just what goes into a custom KISS car? And You know, anything we do is not going to be subtle. So, you know, when you put the pedal to the metal in this car, you know, you, you better be ready for the ride of your life. Better be ready to burn. It's, of course, it's black and silver, black and chrome. All right. I don't know what the, the final horsepower on 450, it is. 450, I hear. Is it, is it up? Yeah, it's, it's around there. And uh, besides it being a, an awesome two-seater convertible, 
Oh. It also has a, a trailer hitched up to the back of it that has a built-in stereo system oh, and built-in amplifiers. It comes with a Gene Simmons Punisher bass, an Ace Frehley custom Les Paul that fits in it, and a Paul Stanley Washburn PS2000 guitars. They all fit in the back. You have a jack in the dashboard so you can plug your guitar in. <laughs> And, uh, we might even stick the, a Paul, uh, Peter Chris snare drum there. there is, there, is there one? There's a drum machine. No, there's a drum machine. There you go. A drum machine. machine. Yeah. I figured that. Was I got my little sure, drum you machine. you can jam right along. It's, it's awesome. What else can we tell you about? Can, you can uh, step on the brake pedal and kiss. The kiss uh, light comes on instead of stop. Okay. You mean the kiss logo that I designed? The kiss logo that Ace designed. <laughs> and that, For and the that, tail lights. No, no. I mean right on the dashboard. So when you're looking to see, you know, your stop, go, and all that stuff. You know, the, the thing about the car, though, is that uh, there will be a series of car, KISS cars that are going to be coming out in 99, but the first one we wanted to give away for free. I'm and so this thing is a one-of-a-kind, you know, it's uh, the coolest of the cool. It's awesome. Sounds like a great lyric. It's, it's really like a hot rod. Is that correct? That's correct. You would know or that. Or you can hack into sprints. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an important uh, okay. point I'm great. sure you were about to mention. All right. Which is that the more times you call, the better your chances are of winning. Because we can pick up, we're going to pick up the phone or that, that one mm -hmm. lucky person at any point. So if you're just entering once, that's fine. It's your call. If you want to enter a lot of times, the more times, the better. There you go. You're allowed, right, Gene? You're that's right, Gene. You Gene can put Gene's saying it's you know, Gene's gonna, 3 o'clock in the morning, Gene's going to be dialing <laughs> 900 all night, all night long. long. Now, those clocks. now, each copy of Psycho Circus will also have, I understand, an instant sweepstakes card. And by calling the 900 call KISS, That's right. you not only register for the custom car sweepstakes, but you also find out about uh, other items and whether or not you're an instant winner for one of the variety of KISS-related prizes, ranging from T-shirts to autographed guitars to a trip, it says right here, to the possible New Year's Eve concert in Detroit. There you go. You know, you know, we really did this for a reason. Some people say, why are you doing this kind of thing? When we first started making albums, we, always, great, we always tried to put like all kinds of like great um, things that became collector's items. We had yes. the love gun. You know, we had tattoos. Since we're dealing now with CDs where you really can't put cool stuff in anymore, we figured, what's the best way that we can give everybody a chance to get something really cool? And it's, it's, you know, the, the, the little coupons and all this other stuff that you can win by getting Psycho Circus at a store near you. Well, you've always had the incredible merchandising. You have become maybe one of the most collected bands of all time. Hated, too. Um, <clears throat> we're actually as proud of our uh, enemies as we are of our friends. We're proud to be the only band, the alternative to all alternatives, the band that's not afraid to do anything because anybody that's afraid of stuff that wants to hold on to their credibility are really cowards because they're afraid of really having fun. The one thing we've always sworn to ourselves is we're going to do whatever tickles our fancy, no matter what. That's so if great. people think it's no credibility, we're proud of it. No, I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> I think people are really looking for this kind of excitement when it comes to rock and roll. And you have delivered on so many aspects of it with... Uh, the trading cars in the association with McFarlane, you bet. Uh, Todd McFarlane, and uh, the comic books. Those Psycho Circus versions. comic books are the coolest. Oh, and, and selling off the shelves, you can't find them. You know, and everything that you have has become a collector's item. We try to do everything the best we can and give it our best. I think people know that when the makeup goes on, the gloves come off. You know, that's when we go into action. And, uh, you know, when we get ready, it's not 
face paint, it's war paint. That's right. Well, let's uh, let's get some more action going God, on I'm this good. album. Let's listen to more from Psycho Circus, the album network premiere, and this one is called Within. And we are back here live in Los Angeles with all original four members of KISP, and it's great to say that. It's great to have you all here. Thank you. Now, I just got the word, really, that you got married during the recording of this album. Is that right, Don't Peter? tell his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Thank he you. did. Thank well, you. We're, yeah. ta we're talking about Congratulations, Peter. Congratulations, Peter. Talking about Peter, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, I got, I got married. I got married May 3rd to a Jersey girl named Gigi. And uh, I haven't seen my house yet, but I have one there. And because we had to start rehearsals right away. So, yeah, I got married. Thank you. It's actually just was Doc's birthday. So I'd like to say happy birthday to Doc. Because uh, oh. he just had a birthday. So, Well, congratulations to Doc as well. And congratulations to all of you for, uh, you know, just pulling this thing back together. Actually, Peter's wife. Right over there. Everybody's Peter. wondering where. She's the one with the, her clothes off. <laughs> Close your right eyes, folks. <laughs> She's the just freaked out. Peter, you stayed fairly active, though, with recording and doing some things, but you've got to be happy to be back doing... They've made you out to be the romantic of the band, always doing the ballads, but you did recently uh, just do this ballad, and if I'm not mistaken... Mr. Paul, Stanley wrote it for me. Paul, Paul helped you out on that yes, one? Yes, he did. And I think that was really cool, because uh, they didn't take my ballad. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's... Well, Beth is still one of the most played Kiss songs. Yeah, it is. I think, I think it was great that Paul... You know, thought like you know where I'm coming from, really where I'm at, and it meant a lot. So you know when he played it for me in his car, he said, you know, I really wrote this with you in mind because, and I had something similar. It was the same guideline, same storyline, and I was touched. I really thought that was pretty cool of him to think of me and to really write a ballad strictly with me in mind. Yeah, it meant a, I, I got into that. I really sang. Uh, it was great singing it. It was really a, another experience for me. Well, let's give it a listen. It's called I Finally Found My Way, and it's from Psycho Circus. Congratulations on that one, Peter. Nice Thank job. You. And you as well, Thank Paul, for, uh, for an excellent job of writing that one. Well, you know, I have a Kleenex. Peter's, yeah, Peter's like <laughs> such a great singer for those kind of songs that to not have him singing a ballad on the album, it wouldn't have been the Kiss album. You know, right. After Beth, you know, that really set you know, the precedent for what Peter could do in terms of that kind of song. And we were really determined to make sure that there was a song on here that, that he really got a chance to shine on. We're going to be coming back Thank with you, more Paul. of Thank the you. Psycho Circus album. If you haven't heard, Psycho Circus with Kiss. Stay right there. And uh, one thing that we definitely want to talk about, because I flew in all the way from Detroit and everyone's already talking about it, and that's this movie. Detroit Rock City. Can you tell I, me wait, a little I bit about to, it? I have to turn to my right for a second, look through the glass. A little bit. All it's right. much bigger than that. Oh, talk a little bit about it. Okay, I got it. No, that's what she said last night. That's right. <laughs> there, There is a purported movie, perhaps, called Detroit Rock City that possibly New Line Cinema just started filming, I mm. think. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's actually going to be the cool movie everybody's been waiting for and takes place in Detroit and that's as much as you'll know about it more on Monday when we do our press it'll conference. be a little bigger budget than the Phantom film though we can expect yeah no that. it's it's gonna be legitimate and we're very proud of it yeah well I know everyone in Detroit who has any knowledge about it is pretty excited about it already so um, you know that was the time we're New York guys you know we grew up on the streets of New York but it was really Detroit who gave us you know that first big shot we headlined there before anywhere else yep. big time and that city's always been about music, you know, whether it's 
uh, Motown and, and, and to Nugent to Seeger and all that. It's always been a very cool city. Well, I'll tell you one thing. KISS fans all across this nation terrible. are raising their glasses, and they are thanking the fact that you are all back. Let's get to it from Psycho Circus. This is Raise Your Glasses. I want to talk about the fact that you have, you have got beyond touring, beyond recording, beyond all the merchandising, beyond the custom car. How do you find time now to launch your own internet provider service? And you got to tell me a little bit about this, because I'm a big nut on the internet. Ace, you want to do that? Good, we pay Ace. people to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, and there's going to be some return, I would imagine, on that dollar. Is there not, Ace? Yeah, I mean, you know, we we got you, you pay people to run an internet service for you. I would imagine that. I'm not going to sit behind the desk and answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, being being one of the bands that probably has more websites on the internet than anything imaginable out there, and that's it's time to take it over, right? right? All right, let me, no, but seriously, you know, you'll be able to order merchandise through the internet. Mm -hmm. You'll probably be able to upload, download, up well, upload. Yeah, but you can do that on a website now. Things. This is a full internet yeah, well, provider. You'll be able to You'll see be things, able to hear things. You'll be able to like, you know, fingers. like morphs and stuff that I do or pull. But there's more. My yes. question really is, though, are you going to make it better? Of course. Of I mean, course. we don't do anything unless we can do it better than anybody else. All right. And we're big, big fans of everybody who has KISS websites. However, they're limited in what they can do based upon, guess what? They're not KISS. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's the same thing that happened with KISS conventions. Um, it started as a great idea, and then some people jumped on the bandwagon for the money, but nobody could do a KISS convention the way KISS could. The reason we got into the website was really because we know there's a lot of things that the fans would like to see and be a part of that you really don't get access to, even through the, the most avid and rabid fans. So we're going to be the the all-purpose provider. Now the technology is there. Are we going to be able to uh, get access right from the CD? That's right. Yeah. That's because there well, there have, have been a modem, a there's a screensaver even, yeah. right? Here's here's well, the, that would be great. Here's the idea. The Psycho Circus CD is going to be your ticket, your entranceway into another world. You take the CD, you'll be able to play the music on your CD, but you'll also be able to take the CD, put it in your ROM, put it into your ROM for instant access to the Kiss website. There you go. And can you put it anywhere else? As long as you have, a, <laughs> as long as you have a modem. Well, I would, you know, where can you put it? Everywhere, right? You can put it anywhere you can find an opening. <laughs> if you're online right now, what would be the address that we could that we could access it? That's a good question to ask, and the answer to that one is, I believe it was KissOnline. Of course. Dot com That's or right. dot net. Dot net. KissOnline.net. KissOnline.net. We wanted something that All was going to be Original, simple, yeah. memorable, and to the point. Yeah. Kiss. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> KissOnline.net. Kissonline. KissOnline.net. KissOnline. I'm just kidding because I know all about this I know stuff. You do. I'm trying to be. I'm trying, <laughs> I know you do. I'm trying to be like. <laughs> I'm trying you to be likable. He's like, oh, I wish, I, I, wish, I wish everybody would just lighten up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, this has been like a journey for, oh, no. for me. <laughs> but what I you, know. What is this, Siddhartha? <laughs> but I know it's like a journey of 1,000 years. Let's check it out. It's another track from Psycho Circus. That really is wow. a musical journey for Kiss. I love, that, I love that one uh, roll that Peter does where he goes. Yeah. There I'm you go. doing the toggle switch stuff. I love that. <laughs> All right.
Journey of 1,000 Years from Psycho Circus, the album network premiere of the Psycho Circus album from KISS. And I have to tell you, it has been a real privilege and a tremendous, I, I, I'll just say a tremendous time for all KISS fans to be able to have you all here together. Uh, still living. And, and, and talking about a new recording. And still talking. And still talking. Well, still living. You know, this is the start of something really big. And when something feels good, it only She's gets outside. bigger. That's right. So, well, we want to play thank, with us and we get bigger. want to thank Ace and Peter and Paul and Gene for being here and for thank playing you. the albums for your fan. Psycho Circus, by the way, is going to be in the stores this Tuesday, September 22nd. It's got to still, though be fun for you guys. I don't think you'd be doing it if it wasn't, but how long do you really want to keep all this going? I don't as long as it's fun. As long as it's you fun. Know, yeah. when as it's long starts. as we get together and laugh like this, we can keep doing it. And as long as we can turn out the kind of music that we have on Psycho Circus, and as long as we can do the kind of shows that people saw on the reunion tour, there's no reason to stop because it just keeps getting better. Yeah, I said from the beginning, it's really a respect thing. And if we don't have that for each other, I'm out of here. I, you know, I'm having a great time with the guys. We laugh all day long. It's a consistent great time for me. I mean, I look forward to going to rehearsal. I used to hate to rehearse. Mm -hmm. and, and every day there's a new adventure in that room. We're new. Somebody's coming in with something else and the jokes don't stop. We laugh more now than we ever did. So and that's sense. good for me. I think laughter is a good thing. And I love these guys. Isn't that so heartfelt? I mean, you know. Because I'm the Italian that guy. Pretty much, <laughs> that pretty much does sum the it Italian all up, Italian guys love everybody. Unbelievable. It's great having you yeah. here. It's great having you back. And on behalf of all KISS fans from all over the world, congratulations Thank on you. the Thank new you. Psycho Thank Circus. You. Thank you, We Doug. wouldn't let you down. Our pleasure. We hope that you've enjoyed our four-part look at Psycho Circus. Thank you for listening to your podcast. See you on the next one. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulik, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podkist is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkist crew, thank you for listening to Podkist, the KISS fanzine for your ears. <laughs>